we thank you for what is in her and what she carries. And we want to know more. We want to learn more of what she has. So would you bless her, take off any worry or anything like that right now. And let us all have open hearts and open ears to hear what she has to say. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you. There are some mornings when you feel really set up. <laughs> and one of those, uh, this morning is one of those mornings when everything's just gone right into it, into um, what I'm going to share this morning. Our theme for this um, month is risk and faith. And um, as part of that, I want to share with you a bit about our um, trip to India. Um, really, Rachel and I really appreciated your prayers while we were out there. And you've invested that, that time and you've invested those prayers in India and in us. So we want to, sh well, I want to share this morning about what happened and the things that I've brought back from India because I want to share it with the whole family. Unfortunately, um, Rachel wasn't able to be here, otherwise she would have uh, also shared with us this morning. But uh, I hope that I can relay most things that happened. You know, it's one of those things when you're out there and you're living it, <laughs> it's something really, really special and you, you just want to keep that so that you can relay that onto other people. So I just hope you capture um, part of what I, or most of what we, we actually felt. Um, on March the 7th, Rachel and I um, went on a trip to India. Rachel is part of um, a, tr a charity in this area that has been um, funding and supporting some work out in um, India for some time. And she was going to go on her own. And we felt that's probably not a good idea. It's always good to be with somebody else. So I had the wonderful privilege of going along with Rachel to India. And it was an amazing time. Uh, we went for two weeks, and it was something that was very, very special. So I want to just show you a few pictures, because I think pictures are always good. <laughs> That's us at the uh, departure gates, really excited, having gone through check-in with over our luggage being overweight and them just waving it through. So that was the start of a wonderful time. We took a couple of suitcases, absolutely chock-a-block full of um, things to share with the children out there. And uh, it was great that they just said, yeah, go on, let it go through. So that was wonderful. So we we're really excited at this stage, a bit full of uh, fear and intrepidation, really, because um, I am not a risk taker by nature. <laughs> or I wasn't, put it that way, I am now. Um, I used to work for the wonderful National Health Service, which really does not like risk in any form. And uh, instead of being risk takers, you are risk managers and risk uh, avoiders in all respects because you're worried about being sued and you're worried about hurting people. And uh, yes, you're just worried about your job, basically. So... Um, I am not a natural risk taker. In fact, I used to write risk assessments for people so that we didn't take risk um, and we avoided risk in all aspects. So uh, if you knew me really well, you would know that Karen is not a risk taker. 
So when uh, it was suggested that I went to India, I looked on the map about where we were to go. Right, first bit was Delhi. Yep, Delhi's fine. Second bit is Manipur. Manipur, where's Manipur? Manipur is northeast um, India, and it's the little bit that's sort of separate to the, the main bit. And uh, when I looked on the Foreign Office website, which is what you are advised to do when you travel, it said, do not go to Manipur <laughs> unless absolutely necessary. Um, we advise against all travel to Manipur. So instantly, being somebody that does not take risk, I go, ah, <laughs> and you want me to go there. Uh, I looked on the Indian website, because I thought, well, I'll look on the Indian website, and they said, we have recently lifted off the restrictions to Manipur. You no longer have to get a special permit there. But unfortunately, the British government hadn't caught up with that. So it meant that our health insurance and our travel insurance would not be valid in that area. So, you know, being somebody who doesn't take risk, you're sort of thinking, ah, is this the right thing for me to do? So I didn't instantly say, yes, I was going to go to India. India had never been a country that I'd thought, yeah, I really want to go there. Uh, I wanted to go to Africa. As you know, I've been to Africa a few times, but I'd never been to India, and I thought, well, I don't really want to go to India. It's never sort of held any fascination for me. I thought it would be dirty and smelly, and uh, I thought, oh, all that noise as well. I don't know if I can cope with it. But uh, I can tell you that having gone there, my heart, half my heart is out there. The other half's in Africa. <laughs> but um, yeah, I really, really loved it. And it was all those things. Um, so as I say, uh, I wasn't sure whether I was meant to go. And I said, God, if you really want me to go, I'm going to need confirmation. And um, I asked a couple of people who I really trust prophetically um, in the church. And I said to them, um, I didn't tell them any details at all. I just said, I've got a situation. Um, I need to make a decision. Would you just ask God what he's saying? And uh, God was brilliant. And he said, um, I am going to take care of you. I've uh, the picture actually I was given was of a package, you know, a crate that you pack up, something really fragile inside the crate, and it had been packed, and it had been carefully wrapped up, and it was, uh, God was saying, it's like a precious item that has been really, really covered and looked after. And I felt God, you know, saying, yeah, that's right, it's right. Now, the last time I went to Africa, I was really quite sick to one time and had to go to the hospital and uh, I thought oh if the same thing happens in India what am I going to do because my health insurance won't be covered and all that but God was saying no what happened before you are not to take what happened before as this time this is a new wineskin this is a totally different situation and I am going to look after you and he also gave me a lovely dream where I was um in an area and I was about to go into a, a building to minister and this very, very tall um, oriental looking gentleman um, in a, he had grey dreadlocks all around his head and a great big long grey coat and he said, stop, I want to minister to you before you go into the room and I felt God say to me, that's your angel, 
He's you know, I've got angels who are going to be with you and are going to look after you. And actually, that picture was so wonderful and amazing because it was fulfilled out in Manipur. We did have like an angel, <laughs> um, a natural, <laughs> well, a guy that was there who literally really looked after our security and looked after our welfare there, which was amazing. I'll talk about that later. So next one, please. So uh, it wasn't all hard work. <laughs> As you see, we're at the Taj Mahal. And we had um, a really great day there. Uh, this is Rachel. For those of you that don't know her, she came out with me. This is Eunice. This is the pastor's wife in Delhi that I got to know and has become a really, really good friend now. And this is um, Vikash, who is one of her children. Now, Eunice and her husband, Daniel, are an amazing couple. Can you put the next one on, please? This is, uh, sorry, it's slightly dark because we were in a restaurant at the time. But this is Eunice and Daniel. They are the pastors of a church out in West Delhi that we went to visit. And they are an amazing couple. And I learned so much from them while I was out there. And I felt, even if it was just to meet this couple, you know, this trip has been really, really worthwhile. Um, Eunice is Brazilian, and uh, Daniel is from uh, Orissa, you know, where they've had all the trouble recently, um, all the floods and uh, yeah, d the cyclone. Um, he's from that area. And actually, Orissa is a, an area in India where there's been much persecution in the past, where missionaries have been murdered, and it's been horrendous up there. But he has an, a wonderful... Um, work out up in Orissa and he said next time you come you're coming with me so I'm thinking okay <laughs> next next risk but this will be good um, this couple uh, head up a church called the Good News Centre in West Delhi and when they um, went to West Delhi initially 25 years ago there was only five churches in West Delhi with only about 200 people in uh, in the churches there. There'd been much persecution in that area. Um, the OM, was it OM? Yeah, the OM missionaries that had been out there had been badly beaten up and uh, they had to leave. The Baptist uh, Missionary Society pulled out all their missionaries as well for their safety. So there was very little work happening there Christian-wise. But Eunice and Daniel felt that they should pray and bring the, exist the remaining churches together. And they said, this is not about denomination. This is about furthering God's work. And so they, they said, right, we are to pray as leaders of these churches. We are to pray together to, to unite and go for what God wants us to do. And now there are a thousand churches in West Delhi. It has spread so much, and a lot of it is due to this couple. They are amazing. They um, have a church which seats only 250 people, and that's jammed in. They have three services a day, and but uh, they have planted a lot of churches in West Delhi, many, many churches. And considering the fact that um, it is illegal to proselytize, to try and convert people in that area. They have um, b 
been able to spread the gospel in a terrific way. Um, it's If you are caught trying to convert somebody, you will be thrown into prison straight away. And it's the largest prison in Asia, in Delhi. So um, it's not a very nice place. It's pretty awful. And Daniel actually has been threatened with prison a number of times. Um, you can, at the moment, attend a church. They are free to worship in a church, but they're not allowed to go on the streets and actively. So treasure, uh, well, treasure hunting would be all right, but you can't you know, literally go out giving tracts and things like that out in, in India. Um, so they have been given amazing wisdom by God on, how to, on strategies of how to um, encourage church growth in West Delhi. And uh, as Eunice says, we do not allow the government, we, we don't say the government's going to stop us doing what we want to do, but we're going to do it in a very wise way. So they work undercover, as it were, but they um, work very, very wisely. They're not allowed to advertise any Christian event. Everything is by word of mouth or by text. Um, they, we d we're told, do not use Facebook here because we do not want to be highlighted to the authorities. It's a Hindu government at the moment, and the Hindus are looking to really clamp down. And please pray for India, actually, because they're going through elections at the moment. And on May the 23rd, they're going to be announced. If the Hindu government get in again, they reckon they're going to close churches. So we need to really pray that the Congress party gets in, um, because they, they will um, help the Christians. So uh, we've really got to pray for that. Amazingly, though, that what has been um, great is that they, they still exert um, pressure on the government as Christians because um, things like, uh, you know, like in this country, we've had that recent um, law which says that we are to teach all our children about, uh, gen you know, well, you're not allowed to teach gender anymore, are you? You know, they can choose what they want to be. And that is going to be taught right from, from young now. Um, but in India, they were going to do the same thing. They were going to say, you know, transgender's fine. Um, you're not allowed to talk about, um, gen you know, gender saying, oh, you're a boy, you're a girl sort of thing. But they, as Christians, pray, really, really prayed. And as a... As, as Christians, they did actually pressurize the government and said, look, there are all of these people here. We are not going to support you at all um, in this. And would you you're not, you know, we believe it's not right for you to pass this law. And actually, the Indian government didn't pass it. They overturned it. Because Eunice was saying to, to me, she said, where's the church in the United Kingdom? Why hasn't it got a voice? Where's the church? You know, we're, we're under persecution here to some extent. We're under persecution, and yet we have been able to overturn a government's decision. You are free in the United Kingdom. Where's the church? Why hasn't it spoken out against these laws that are being passed? You know, you, the church in, in the United Kingdom needs to be more powerful and needs to be more forthright. We need a voice. So that, that really struck me, and I thought, yeah, you know, it's right. We shouldn't just sit back and let this happen. We, we as a, 
as Christians, we need to be united and we need to be a voice. Um, so I said that the church only seats 250, um, but they've got lots and lots of churches in the community. And uh, I said to Daniel, how many people do you reckon are actually connected to your church? He said, I just don't know. He said, I don't deal in numbers. But he said, uh, in 2015, so you think that's you know four years ago, um, they put out uh, through by word of mouth and through text that they were going to get together in an arena just to celebrate the Good News Centre and, and all that had happened as um, through the work of the church. And 10,000 people turned up that were actually connected, which is amazing, isn't it? And that was in 2015. So he said it's you know, obviously a lot more than that now. So they've had an amazing impact on that whole area in Delhi. They've taken so many risks. Um, they have nothing. They are not supported by the church. The church can't afford to employ them. But they, as a, a charity and as the Good News Centre, they do actually have 100-plus employees. So that's amazing, this church. It funds itself, this church. People are not high earners. They um, just give whatever they can, and they give sacrificially. Uh, they, uh, the, as a church, they um, found out that there was a community of Indians in Atlanta that um, were really hungry for God, really wanted to know more about God. So they approached a church in Atlanta and said, would you please put on an alpha? for these Indian people, because they are hungry, they are ripe for knowing, for knowing God. And the Atlantic church said, we can't afford it, we're not doing it. So this church in West Delhi, who <laughs> can't make ends, always make ends meet, but you know, they're, they're amazing, um, said, right, okay, we're gonna pay for it then. So they raised 5,000 pounds and sent it out to Atlanta and said, put on an alpha. <laughs> which I think is amazing, isn't it? That this church, through faith, raised that money and sent it out to Atlanta and said, would you put an alpha on for the Indian community out there? It's usually the other way around, isn't it? So they, they are amazing. They're really um, amazing people. And as I say, they, when they first went to um, Delhi, they had nothing. In fact, Eunice, when she first went to India, just slept in a friend's room. She had absolutely nothing when she went to India but God's been amazing and God funds whatever he asks them to do and they say they don't wait for the money to come in they just start with what they've got so you know they will they're, they're going to build a new church and he said we're just going to start building with the money that we have we're just going to start and we'll just watch it grow because they've seen God do that in the past so yeah an amazing couple and I'm hoping that they're going to come over here because I think it would be wonderful for them to minister to us. Okay, next one. Um, on the Sunday, we went to one of these community churches. This is Pastor Mona, a wonderful lady, really full of the spirit, uh, an amazing preacher, um, takes a lot of risks. They, they meet in this little room which is sort of hidden, really, in the community. We were going to go back there on... Uh, when we came back from Manipur, we were going to go back to this church to do something, but because it was a, a public holiday, um, they felt it wasn't safe for us to go back. 
So uh, we, we just ministered on the Sunday. Love the marigold, marigold garlands. Yeah, you're given those when you arrive because they're welcoming you. And uh, I took the service there on the Sunday morning. Um, talked about the, the river of God and about God's love. And we did their first ever encounter worship there. They'd never experienced encounter worship. So we, we took a river. We took a bowl of water. They stepped in the bowl of water, you know, as in the Ezekiel passage about, you know, how God took Ezekiel through the river, ankle deep, waist deep. So they, they all put their feet in the water and then they walked down this long piece of blue cloth. If you go on one, please. Oh, that's me speaking. That's through an interpreter, of course. Carry on. Yeah, so this is the, the encounter worship. They went through the bucket and then down the river, drinking water as they went down because they were based on the passage where Jesus says, keep drinking from me, I'm the water of life. So they drank the water down. They ate fruit to represent the fruit that's growing beside the river. And then they took communion at the end. And they said they'd never experienced anything like it but they really felt the power of God's love as they walked through it. So it was an amazing time. They, um, they're lovely. They're open to learning more. They're so hungry. They're really, really hungry. And I've just had, I had a text from Pastor Mona recently. And on Good Friday, they couldn't put any chairs out. They were all crammed on the floor um, because they'd done an outreach Sunday, you know, through word of mouth. And the place was absolutely chock-a-block. And they were all worshipping and having an amazing time. So I said to her, you're going to need a bigger church. And she said, yes, yes, definitely, Sister Karen. <laughs> so um, they're going to look for a bigger building. So remember Mona, Pastor Mona and her church, because they're an amazing church and doing a wonderful work in that community. Can you pass that on, please? Um, on the Monday, we did a women's um, day and we talked about identity now identity was the message we really took out with us because we felt that um that was something that we both had really grown in through um, kingdom life school and uh, we felt that identity was the message that we wanted to take out with us who people were in god because we felt it was really important. And uh, Eunice had previously said to me, please, will you speak to the women? Because mostly things are for the men. Most of the meetings are for the men. And the women need to be empowered. And they need to know who they are. They're not, you know, because women in that society haven't necessarily got the same um, equal footing. As, well, they haven't got equal footing with men. They're sort of put down a bit. So they really wanted the women to be empowered. So we um, did an identity talk through colour and a fashion show, and they had an amazing time. And uh, 100 people were, I said, look, we're going to have to limit it because of the building. Let's have 100, but 200 turned up. And that, that's what happens out there. <laughs> okay, next one. So I'm going to quickly go through these because I want to get on with some of the amazing stories. That's a, another one, yeah, the same meeting. Um, all ages from young girls who were really hungry, you know, they weren't just sitting there. They didn't just come because their mums brought them. They really wanted to be there, and they really grasped the message. So it's lovely that, you know, all ages, it was a really wonderful time. Okay, next one, please. Yeah, and the next one. Right, we then went to um, one of these um, schools that uh, Eunice and um, Daniel have started, and this is part of their church strategy growth as well as helping the community. Um, what they do is they... They have these schools where they teach English. And 
uh, ad adult education classes as well. They teach English, which enables the children then to have a certain standard of English so that they can go to school. And through these schools, which are allowed by the government, <laughs> you know, they, they want these schools, they're able to actually uh, share the love of God and share uh, about God's goodness and share the gospel. So um, they do these classes. Through that, they um, manage to reach the mothers, the women, and um, others, most, yeah, mostly the women, but then some of the men come along as well. And then, once they've got a big enough group, they say, right, that's a church. So they've got 130 of these schools around in the community. Um, the reason why we weren't, oh, yeah, we weren't able to go back to one of these schools as well was because uh, we were on our way and they, um, we had a phone call and they said a the, uh, couple of police guys are around and uh, they're, they're not actually visiting the school, they're visiting something else nearby. But if they hear the children get excited and they hear, they see that white people are going in, they'll begin to question what we're doing. So, you know, it's probably best if you don't come and take, because we were going to take a session there. So they're very wise. They keep their eyes open. They don't just say, oh, well, you know, God will look after us. They're very wise in what they do. God will take, um, help them, but he also gives them wisdom. So this is, as I say, one of the schools. Uh, next one, please. Um, it's in this kind of area, so, you know, quite a rough sort of area. So they're reaching people that are... Uh, not, we're not talking about high-caste people here. We're talking about lower-castes. Okay, next one. And these are three lovely ladies that actually um, work in the school there. Dolly is amazing, and actually they're thinking that she might be the pastor of the new church. They're just about to plant a church in that area. So uh, amazing people there. Next one, please. Uh, then we went and visited the West Delhi slum. Now... Most of you have heard about this because I've been flashing it out on Facebook and mentioning this. Um, this really, really touched me, this area. And uh, before I went, I said, God, you're going to have to give me a love for the people out there because um, I want to see the love that you have for these people because that's going to help me out there. And God certainly did that. He downloaded that in a really big way. So I've got a real heart for these people now. 25,000 people live in this slum. Um, they are the untouchables. Uh, they're the lowest of the low. And nobody serves them. They serve everybody else. And as a result, the government don't give them anything either. And it's really sad to see the way that they're living. Um, this is a clean bit of the slum. <laughs> All right, this is, this is really clean. Uh, next one, please. Uh, walking through the slums there. Next one. But right in the middle of this slum is this little school that uh, Eunice and Daniel have set up uh, through the Good News Centre. And it's teaching these children English so that these children can have a better life and go to school. And it's it's wonderful what they're, what they're doing. They were lovely children. Um... Unfortunately, some of them were feeling quite ill while we were there. Sickness, probably due to the living conditions that they're living under. But lovely children, and they even learnt the shark song. If you have mums and dads, you know what the shark song is. 
they knew it and they were doing all the actions to the shark song. So they did that to us. Uh, next one, please. Gorgeous kids. Your heart just goes out to them, doesn't it? Really, really lovely. And they loved the fact that we'd come in to see them and we were explaining about how we'd travelled many miles and um, on aeroplanes and they, they sort of minds were blown. Next one. Yeah, and next one. Um, then at the end of the day, what they do, they just meet in the mornings and then they put out all these tables and they cook them a meal. And it's probably the only hot meal they'll have. And they cooked them a lovely, we had a chicken dish while we were there with rice. And they all sit there and uh, they're all fed before they go. Next one, please. As you can see, lo lovely. It's a real oasis in the middle of the slum. They come through that purple door and uh, they've planted up all these lovely flowers. So it's a really lovely place for them to be. And that's the teacher. She gives her heart to that community in that slum. She's an amazing lady. Next one, please. Now, this is um, a pump that they've got in this school, and it's, it's um, powered by a solar panel, which enables them to actually pump clean water from the water system. And as a result, the children can drink fresh water, their hands are washed before they eat, and um, they've got a certain amount of cleanliness, obviously, before they eat their meals. What happens to them when they go back through that purple door is something quite different when they go back into the community because the community hasn't got access to clean water. So um, when I, I heard about this, I thought, that's really, really sad. And I said to Daniel, I said, how much would it cost to actually get some more solar panels so that the surrounding community could actually have clean water? And he said to me, a thousand pounds. And I went, is that all? And he said, yeah, £1,000. So I said, well, I think we can raise £1,000 in the UK and send that back. So that's why I've been bombarding you with Facebook messages and other things to say, yeah, we can raise £1,000 so that this community can have clean water and these children are no longer sick. They're sick because it's dirty water. They're sick because they can't wash their hands before they're eating. So, you know, it would be lovely if we could raise that money. Um, thank you to everybody who's given so far. It's wonderful. Well, we're halfway there. So if you could share the Facebook messages that come through on, in your mailbox, if you could share that with people that you know as well so we can spread it out and we can raise that money. I'd love it if we could raise it within the next two weeks. That'd be great. Thank you very much. Right, next one. Right, after Delhi, we went uh, a week later. We boarded another um, flight, travelled another three hours out to um, Manipur. And this is the road that we lived on in Manipur. Um, the house we stayed in is that one down there. It's a little compound. And this is the local church. We went out to um, this place called Chura Champur. We went out to uh, the village who were the cookie people. Cookies, I love that, love that name. The cookie people. And the cookie people are Christians. Now, out there, you don't become a Christian. You're born a Christian. They don't understand the whole concept of being born again. They um, don't have appeals where people, you know, say, if you want to come to Christ, then, you know, this is what you do. They, uh, they're just born Christian. As a result, the place is dead. 
the spirit's not there, there's no life, everything is very, very religious. They have to attend church. If they don't, they're fined. There's a little man who sits at the back and writes down everybody's name. So if you're sick, you have to say, you know, that I'm sick, so therefore I cannot attend church. And it is very, very religious. So when we walked into this little church, we, we both went in before the, meet, uh, the, the first meeting, and we went, oh my goodness, this feels so cold. And there's something really not right about this place. Now, um, Pastor Tong and his wife Kim, uh, the couple that we actually went out to visit, and they're the couple that uh, Rachel's Charity supports out there. And uh, they they are not allowed, well, they attend the church, but they are not allowed, they weren't allowed to preach in the church because it is very, very controlled by the um, chief of the village. And uh, yeah, they haven't got the freedom. T- Pastor Tong and his wife Kim are charismatic. They're an amazing couple. They, he is a, an evangelist. He goes out to very remote areas and preaches the gospel um, in those remote areas. Um, I said about uh, Delhi being in a, an area where you're not allowed to convert people. In Manipur, there is this little window of opportunity. Because Manipur is so far away from the mainland, the Indian uh, government has sort of virtually forgotten Manipur. And uh, actually, the people in Manipur look very, very different to the people in, Indi- in Delhi. Um, when they travel to Delhi, people say, where are you from? And they say, well, we're Indians. They said, but you don't look like us. Because they don't. They look Burmese. They look um, more oriental. Um, so Pastor Tong had, has met with great resistance in this church. He just attended. Um, his family also attended. The girls were amazing um, uh, in his family. They'd managed to sort of get into the youth work a bit and sort of teach them a few songs with some actions and things. But there um, wasn't much happening in this church. So we met with quite resistance there. I'll tell you a bit more in a minute. Carry on. This is Pastor Tong and Kim, his wife. Wonderful couple. And as I say, he's an evangelist and goes out into remote areas. And he's just come back from um, Myanmar, Burma, and uh, had gone out to preach out there as well. So he's thinking that he's going to go out there more. Um, What they do is they run a children's home for children that... um, either haven't got parents or their parents can't afford to uh, bring them up. So that's what the charity supports. So we went out and did work with the children. Can we carry on, please? And he also runs a school there, which he's building, uh, literally building around the children. Uh, They've built the first floor, no windows or anything, just bricks with a few benches in um, and... The uh, 120 children are there at the moment, um, and they're building around these kids. And hopefully, there'll be about three, four hundred eventually. So a bit like Child of Hope, you know how Child of Hope started their school. Um, but every morning, the teachers have a devotion time before they teach, which is lovely. And this is us in the devotion time. We share with them every day at the school. There, we were given um, complete freedom in this school. Uh, the the head of the school, the principal of the school said, I want you to do as many lessons as you can. Um, we want you to do assembly every day and you can do whatever you want with these kids, you know, 
whatever form those lessons want to be, you want them to be, they can. So we had an amazing time with those children. And uh, we had really fun times because they, they tend to learn from by rote. And it's very boring. So we brought in a few fresh ideas. And we had an amazing time with these kids. And they said, uh, thank you, Auntie, for sharing lovely stories. <laughs> so I'm Auntie out there. We're both aunties out there. Okay, next one. These are the children. They're lovely. They have a prayer time every morning before they start school. Lovely kids. And this is the difference that Tong's making in that community with these children. He says, if I can't, if I'm not allowed to do the adults, I'm going to start young. I'm going to start with the children and bring them on. Next one. There's Rachel doing assembly. Next one. Aren't they gorgeous? heart just goes out to them. Really lovely kids. Beautiful children. Next one. And this is the children's home. These are the children that a lot of these children haven't got parents. In fact, there was a little boy. Where is he? Um, little boy that came up to Rachel crying his eyes out and saying how much he missed his dad because his dad had died and he was on his own. I can't remember where he is. Oh, there he is. Here. This little boy here that um, really wanted some love. Rachel was able just to give him some love and yeah it was it was really good so we had a great time with those kids next one and we had a an opportunity to go into the bible school there as well the theological college which was a great honor a real honor um probably about 200 students and we went in and shared about what God's doing with us and we've got an open invite to go back again next one um there's Rachel uh, being, that's Kim translating for her while she was doing one of the talks. Next one. And that's the father's love letter and cookie. <laughs> it didn't exist, but um, uh, Rachel wanted to share about identity and she wanted to share about God's love. So we got the girls and Kim to translate for us. And they translated it all into cookie, which is lovely. So all the ladies had a personal copy of that. Next one. And again. And again, lovely kids, aren't they? And again. And that's um, If I Were a Crocodile. That is. Gordon, he said, I'm going to get a crocodile because I'm going to ride its back. <laughs> lovely boy. Okay, I think that's the end, isn't it? Is that the end? Yeah, thanks. So you can see what the people were like. Right, I just want to share some stories with you because I really want to raise your face this morning. Um, as I say... Um, I'm not a natural risk taker, but when I was out there, I felt God say to me, I want you to step out and face, and I want you to take some risks out here. We've done it before in Uganda, and we went to an area there that um, was a restricted area, uh, or had been, and we saw God moving in amazing ways, which we've shared before, and through amazing miracles. And um, it was through those stories, really, that things started to happen in India. Um, the first night that we went into that, that church I showed you, um, Rachel shared and spoke to the youth about identity, which was great. Um, and uh, didn't meet that much with a response. And we thought, oh, boy, this is, this is going to be something. And Rachel said to me, this is not what I came out for. I came out here to see miracles and signs and wonders. And I said, yeah, I agree with you, Rachel. You know, when, God's when is God going to start doing the stuff? But um, at the end of the evening, she prayed for everybody. And um, 
she prayed a little bit in tongues at the end. And one of the girls questioned what she was doing. And she said, what was that? Because I'm petrified by it. And she said, well, I'm speaking in tongues. And it's actually in the Bible. And she shared the story of Acts 2 to this girl. And this girl was going, oh, that's amazing. And she said, well, would you like that gift of tongues? And the girl said, yes, I would. So she started praying for this 14-year-old girl. And after a while, we realized that there was a spirit in her manifesting quite nastily and threatening to kill her. And um, yeah, I haven't encountered a spirit like quite like that before. I've encountered other, sp other spirits, but this was quite, uh, quite one. And it took one and a half hours to pray for the, that girl, uh, for her to see deliverance, which she did do, which was amazing. Um, but we felt that there was something very strategic which happened that night because this happened within that church. And it was obviously a religious spirit that was manifesting in her. And when that spirit went and left, there was suddenly a different atmosphere in that church, which was great. The following night... Um, Tong said to me, he said, um, I, I've got you into the church on the pretense that you're a missionary. So I said, okay. He said, well, you've been to Africa and you've been to other places, so you are a missionary. And I said, okay. He said, so you're allowed to share some of your missionary stories. So I said, okay, I'll do that. So uh, just before the service, we saw um, out the window, we saw some fires that were spontaneously being lit around. And... Um, I thought, oh, maybe they're burning the rice fields because they do that at, the, at that time of the year. They burn the rice fields. And uh, somebody said to me, no, they don't burn them on the mountains. That, that's not where the rice fields are. Those fires are being spontaneously lit. They're just appearing. And they were appearing on all the mountains around. The, the village where we were had mountains all the way around it. And Rachel and I looked at it and we went, Wow. God's saying something here. God's saying that he's going to do something special here. And actually, Phil, you had actually sent a message to Alistair and said, because when we arrived there, it was not quite what we expected. Conditions there were very, very different to the West. I mean, we had no Western toilets. We had holes in the ground. There were no showers. You had a bucket of water, which you sloshed over you. So, I mean, pretty uncomfortable. We had rats on the roof. We had, you know, when I arrived, I was going, ah! You know, I've got to live with this for a week. But Phil said to Alistair, tell her to expect amazing things because, you know, when we go and we're not comfortable, you know, when things are rough, God's going to use that because you've been faithful and you're, you know, going there and you're, you're willing to live like that. God's going to do amazing stuff. So anyway, we our faith levels were going like this. We say... God's going to do something really, really special tonight. So I started sharing stories of healings that had happened in Malta, when we were in Malta. Do you remember that night when we were with the Catholic, charismatic Catholics? How we'd seen ears healed and eyes healed. I shared stories of Malta. I shared stories of Uganda, of the miracles that had happened there. And they were sitting there like this. So I said, at the end of the meeting, I said, well... Is there anybody here that would love to see the power of God and would love some healing? And suddenly all these people came to the front. And uh, Rachel and I prayed for them. 
and we saw amazing healings happening. There was um, a lady there who had been in terrible pain. Um, she was quite young. She was only in her 30s. Um, terrible back pain, pain shooting through her legs. Um, and in fact, she was in great pain that night, really, really bad pain. And she said, I've been to the doctors, I've been to the hospital, and she, all they can do is just give me injections for this. They say there's nothing else they can do. And I'm in chronic, chronic pain. And these injections are very expensive for me. I can hardly afford them. Um, so, you know, sometimes I go without the injections because I need the money for, for other things. And as I say, she was in terrible pain. So started praying for her. And uh, I could see something was happening. And we kept praying for her. And then suddenly she shouted out, it's gone! And all the other ladies sort of looked around because they knew this lady. They knew this lady in the community and they went, what? It's gone! Completely! And she was so over the moon and so bubbling over with what God had done. It, it was absolutely wonderful. Now, during that service... I had encouraged people to clap every time they heard a, a, a miracle of what I've been relating. Because, you know, like we do here, when we hear good news, we, we applaud it, we celebrate it. So every time um, somebody said they were healed, we applauded. We gave God the glory. And we, you know, we, we said to people, look, this is God, this is doing this. You know, claim your healing, thank God for your healing, and saying this healing belongs to me. So that's what she did. And we encouraged everybody to pray like that. So after hearing that one, I think I raised people's faith. And we went round the room and we prayed for healing for people that were in that meeting. Amongst those people was the chief of the village. And he'd come with his son and his, his wife. And the son had really bad sinusitis. Um, there seems to be a real problem with sinuses there and gastric problems in that area, probably because they burn plastic. Um, so it's probably poisonous, you know, fumes and things. Anyway, we prayed for this son, and he gradually felt clearing in his face. And we said, look, keep on, keep on. And he said, oh, it's getting better and getting better. He said, right, we do not want it getting better. We want it better. And I really felt that that's what God said to us while we were out there. He said, I'm not going to do things partially because I'm a God who always does this perfectly. So when I heal, I heal 100%. So every time we went for 100%. Now, there were quite a few people in that room that wanted healing, and there was only Rachel and myself that were praying for these people. So you can imagine it was taking time. But I felt God say to me each time, it doesn't matter how long it takes. You just keep on going for it. You keep on going for it. And I felt that that was a real lesson that God um, relayed to me while I was out there. Do not settle for second best. Keep going for the fullness. Keep going for 100%. So we kept praying for 100%. We kept going with this little boy, and eventually his sinuses completely unblocked, and he was able to breathe. Now, this is the chief's son. So this had an impact on the chief. As a result, the chief said, I want her preaching in my church tomorrow night. So, okay, he said, I'm due to preach, but I want her preaching in my church tomorrow night. 
So, um, which was wonderful, wonderful. And I said, well, I'm going to go for it. And they said, okay, you go for it. So we um, shared about the love of God, felt it was really important that people grasped what the Father's love was, and preached out of the, the prodigal son's story. And we encouraged people to come forward to experience the love of God, the Father's embrace. And uh, Rachel and myself hugged the women as they lined up, the ones that wanted it. And uh, the majority, there were only about 10 people left in the pews. They all queued up, including the chief, and including his wife, and including um, other influential people in that village. They queued up to experience the love of God, the Father's embrace. And tears were flowing down their faces. And Pastor Tong said to me, this has never, ever, ever happened in this church before. People do not respond. They're never given an invitation. He said, for people to stand up in front of the others to experience that, that was amazing and that was a miracle. So real transformation happened. We then prayed for the Holy Spirit to come, for people to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit touched people. They were crying. They were really, really moved. And there was a real change in that whole atmosphere in that room. Then we said, right, okay, we're going to pray for healing again. And we prayed for healing. And that night, 100% of the people were healed, which was amazing and astounding. Um, those people that were able to try, you know, say they had a pain somewhere, we asked them to move things and try things. You know, they were able to say completely gone. For those people that had internal problems, which uh, there were a, f a few, they said, I didn't tell people what to expect. But I said, what are you feeling? And they said, we've got intense burning in our bodies. There's an intense heat, particularly in the area where there were problems. So we knew that healing was happening. One of uh, the chief came up and he said, I've got bad eyesight. I can't see very well. And I definitely cannot read. So I said, right, okay, we're going to pray for healing for you. So we started praying for healing. And uh, he said... Um, I can see more clearly. I said, great, that's really good. God's doing something. We celebrate that. We thank God that he's bringing healing. But we want more. We want total healing. So I prayed again and got hold of a Bible. And I said, right, can you read this? And he said, I can see some letters now. I can see some letters. I said, but can you read it? He said, no, I can't see clear enough to read it. Okay, we're going to pray for more. Kept going. Brought the Bible again. And he started reading perfectly. No glasses. No glasses. Not like that. You know, the right distance, read completely through. He said, okay, eyes healed, I've got diabetes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, we'll, we'll pray for diabetes. So, spoke to the pancreas, commanded it to work properly. Spoke for his, uh, to his blood sugar levels to be... Um, right to be normal and he said I feel a burning in my body I said that's great things are happening I said what I want you to do is go home and check your blood sugar so he did that reported back the next morning it being up there came down to normal I said right okay you've got to keep on checking it so he kept on checking it normal all the time so which was absolutely amazing so we saw diabetes go um there was a man there who had very severe stomach problems, 
um, was in great pain when, uh, whenever he went to the toilet, real constipation problems. Um, he said, every, you know, it builds up and then I, I'm in absolute agony. Um, and I, he had liver problems as well. Prayed for him and he said, there's a real burning happening in my body. Um, it's great, it's good that God's working in, in you, he's healing you. We got reports back the next day, he'd been, you know, systems working perfectly fine, no pain. Absolutely normal. And he'd had that for a long, long time, which was great. Um, he felt that that night, went home to his mother, who um, hadn't been able to go to the meeting. And uh, he said, Mum, you've got to go to the house. You've got to go to that house because there's healing happening here. You've got to go to that house. So at 11 o'clock at night, this lady knocked on the door and said, I hear that there's healing here. So he said, yeah, okay. Um, there was quite a f the family were all in the room, actually. So um, she came and she said, um, I had a nasty accident four years ago. The roof of my house fell on me and I broke four vertebrae. I've been in terrible pain ever since. The, do the hospital have done whatever they can, but they've said that they can do no more. She said, I know that the only way I'm going to be healed is if God does it. So we said, right, okay, we're going to pray for you. So we started praying and I encouraged the family to actually help as well at the same time. And we prayed and um, she, could, she couldn't move her head even and she couldn't bend. She, I mean, she'd come to the house with great difficulty. As we started praying, she started moving her head like this. And she said, oh, I've got movement in my neck. So that's really good. So I said, well, stand up. I want to see if you can bend. And she started bending over and she said, oh, I couldn't do that. I haven't been able to do that for a long, long time. Okay, that's good. Kept on praying and then she, she bent right like this. I said, well, isn't that wonderful? Have you been able to do that for a while? No, 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 haven't been able to do that for a while. She said, but I want to put my hands on the floor. I want to put, put my palms on the floor. I, you know, not many of us <laughs> of her age would be able to do that. Okay, okay, we're going to pray for healing. Kept on praying. The next thing, she's down there with her palm. I can't even demonstrate it. <laughs> she's down there with her palms on the floor, completely healed. Stood up, moved her neck completely around. She said, God's healed it completely. It's completely gone. So that was, that was absolutely amazing. And what was great that night was because the family had seen what God had done. We said, look, this is not us. We're not special. But God is doing this. You can pray in exactly the same way. You can pray in exactly the same way because God works through all of us. So abso absolutely amazing, wonderful. Uh, trying to think of all, <laughs> all the different prayers. Oh, yeah. Um, the last night, um, there was a, a, a meeting, and at the end of it, this girl came through the door, and she said, oh, good, you're still here. She said, I've come from another village, and I've heard that healing's breaking out. She said, I've got, she was only young 20s, I would say. She had um, a lump in her throat. She'd had it quite a while, and she said, I'm really, really scared because I think it's something really sinister. And I'm frightened to go to the doctors in case it's something really, really bad. And she said, I can't sing, and it's really restricting me. Um, but she said, I hear that healing's breaking out here. I want you to pray for me. 
So I said, okay, we'll pray for you. So I started praying. And I was about to ask her, what are you feeling? When she said, it's gone, auntie, it's gone. She said, I swallowed and it went completely. So I said, can you sing? Yeah, she started singing. So amazing, absolutely wonderful. So word really spread through the community. Um, we started getting people queuing up at the door of the house, something that has never, ever happened before. And uh, Rachel and I were saying this must be what it was like in the New Testament with the apostles. because it was. And in fact, we used to go to bed at night and we'd say, can you believe what's happening? We said, no, it, it just feels like a dream. We can't believe this is happening, but God is doing it. Now... Um, we are nothing special, and I said that all along. We're not special because, you know, people were saying, isn't it wonderful that God's given you the gift of healing? You know, it's wonderful that you've got that gift of healing. And I'm thinking, I never thought I had that gift of healing. Not like, not like that. I mean, I believe, that, you know, in, in praying for people, but I'd never, ever experienced healing to this extent. The fact that everybody we prayed for was healed, <laughs> which was amazing. Why it happened in that area in India, I don't know. Why? Because, you know, we often think, oh, it's, it's happening because people are going to become Christians. Yet these people were dead, really, because of the religious spirits and their, you know, re re religious way of approaching God. But God did something amazing, and God can do that wherever. And we're not to question where that can happen. Because if, it's, if God wants to do it, he'll do it. Um, I remember standing at the sink, which was outside, <laughs> just brushing my teeth. And I, I said, God, if I, if I pray, I mean, some of these, you know, the conditions that people were coming for to with <laughs> um, were, were things I thought, I don't know if I've got the faith for this. Because this is something that I've never seen you heal before. And God said to me, what are you worried about? Whose reputation are you worried about? And I said, well, I suppose mine. He said, well, don't worry about mine because I'm big enough to cope with my reputation. And that actually gave me real freedom because I thought, well, it's not up to me. If somebody you know, doesn't feel healing, and there was a, a case where um, somebody came to the house and I want you to pray for this person in, in the end. Um, but I said, well, you know, this seems like an impossible situation, God. I know you can do it. But what if this child is not healed? There's going to be great um, disappointment. And God said that to me. Whose reputation are you worried about? Because, you know, I can deal. I'm big enough to deal with my reputation. Um, we had a little girl come who was just over a a year, about 18 months. I'd been born with um, a great brain deformity. And her mother faithfully kept bringing this child to us and um, prayed for her for about four or five, well, yeah, getting over half a dozen times, actually. And this child was blind. Um, we think the child could probably hear, um, but it was totally blind, um, was kept going really, really rigid, and uh, the skull was all misshapen. And um, this poor mother hadn't been able to have children for a long time, and when they heard she was pregnant, you know, there was great celebration. But then this baby was born, 
um, in this way, this disabled child. And we prayed for healing for her. And I kept praying and I said, Lord, you've healed so many people in this community. I believe for this little one. But I, we didn't see that healing totally while we were out there. And I don't know why. I believe God for it. And I've told the community to keep praying for this child. Um, what I can say is the last time I prayed for her, instead of her eyes wandering all over the place, she looked into my eyes. It appeared to be. And she was no longer rigid. She was relaxed all the time. So I, I do believe there was healing happening in this child. Um, why? Why not her? I don't know. But I do know that God knows. And I do know that God wants her healed. But I was really willing to take that risk. Now, God says that it's impossible to know God without faith. That we should have faith. And having faith means being risky. Having faith and saying God will do it, but doing nothing is not having faith. You've got to step out in that. Each time we prayed, we said, God, you've got to do this because we can't. <laughs> we're doing this in your power and we're doing this in your name. You've given us authority. You've given us authority to heal the sick. You've given us power through your spirit to heal the sick. But we can't do this without you. And each time, I mean, I, I, in the end, I... I I wouldn't even think about it, you know, these can just, you know, diabetes coming forward and saying, you know, be healed. I, I, I refuse to, to think about this. I refuse to process this. I'm just going to go with what God's asking me to do. I'm just going to step out. I'm just going to pray. And I believe that's what God tells us to do. If we believe that God heals, if we believe that God is going to provide for us. If we believe things, then we step out in faith. Eunice and Daniel believe that God's going to supply their needs. They believe that God will finance everything that God's asked them to do. So they step out in faith. They just start. They don't wait for all the money to come in. They, they just start with what they've got. And God always delivers. Always delivers for them. Same with you know healing. No, God God's has told us to pray for the sick. Don't question how he's going to do it. Don't worry about your reputation because actually I'm dead. I'm dead as a person. That's what Heidi Baker says. I, I go into situations because I'm dead already. <laughs> you know, my life is in Christ. And I'm being asked by Jesus to bring heaven to earth because heaven on earth is wherever Jesus is. Bryony shared a really good message at KLS this week about the impact, you know, that Jesus had when he was on earth and how he brought pockets of, of heaven all around him, wherever he was, wherever God did stuff. That's, that's when, you know, heaven came on earth. Well, we have God's presence in us. We have Jesus in us. So wherever we are, whenever we're stepping out in faith, that's where heaven comes. So if we believe that heaven is coming to earth, then we need to step out and be risky for God. The other thing that I just want to say before I finish, sorry, I know I've been going on a long time, but I just want to get it all out. Um, risk is continual. 
You can't live on the risk that you did before. You know, all because I took risk in Africa doesn't mean to say that I now no longer live in risk. The more risk you take, greater will be asked of you. If you want to live in a life where you see God really move, if you want to grow, you've got to take risk. If you want to see God move through you, you've got to take risk. Life is not about being comfortable. God doesn't just say, I'm going to give you your, your, uh, the things that you need. I'm going to give you everything just for you to be comfortable. The Christian life is not there to be comfortable. The Christian life is about taking risks and stepping out in the faith. If you've really got faith, you've got to action it. James says, faith without works is dead. Now, all right, a lot of that is about good works, about helping people, but I believe it's very much that faith without actually stepping out in risk is dead. It's not faith. So if you've really got faith, you need to take risk. And don't question what he's saying. <laughs> you go for it. And he will send confirmation like he sent to me, you know, before I went out to India. He, he really assured me that he would be with me, and he was. I said about that angel, we literally had a guy who was head of a battalion in the police looking after us while we were out there. He uh, got an amazing picture of us holding Kalashnikov rifles. Um, surrounded by armed guards, and they said, if anything kicks off, we're coming in the jeeps and we're taking you out. Um, so we knew that we were literally protected, which was amazing. And he was a Christian, this guy. He was Tong's brother, actually. And we had an armed guard to the airport, which was something else. <laughs> but um, God will take care of us, all right? What he asks us to do, he will equip us for. So if you want to experience risk, go for it. <laughs> if you wanted to learn how to perhaps uh, take those first few steps, I would advise you to come to KLS, Kingdom Life School. Because the students on that school have really learned how to take risks. And uh, Rachel really took some risks out in, uh, in India. Then she said, I can't do this. I said, yes, you can, because I'm not doing it. <laughs> Pushed her forward, and she did things she's never done before. So if you want to learn how to take risks then I would really recommend Kingdom Life School right let's finish let's just pray yeah Father I want to thank you that you have equipped us with your spirit I want to thank you that you've said that we would do greater works than Jesus did on earth which is amazing Jesus said you will do even greater works on earth than I did and I want to thank you that you have equipped us. I want to thank you that you've brought us into an amazing relationship with you. I want to thank you that you have given us so much. And I thank you that you want us to give that to other people. Bill Johnson says, we owe the world an, in, an authentic encounter with Jesus. Therefore, the greatest message we can give the world will not be a sermon, but living our lives out with great faith for all those around us to witness. This is going to be the greatest witness to those around us, that we walk in faith, that we take risks. Risk for one person is very different to another. 
Just go with what God's asking you to do. Be willing to take that risk. And remember that yesterday's risk becomes our normal for today. So we need to walk in continually taking risks out of faith. So I just want to ask you, do you just simply let life happen to you? Or do you listen for the voice that says go? Thank you, Jesus. Amen.